Now back in chapter one, now we're going to get to preaching, okay? And that is what I do best. I do not do best at announcements. I do best at preaching. So Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk chapter one, and we are going to begin in verse 12. Habakkuk chapter one, beginning in verse 12, and this is what it says. Habakkuk, as I reminded you last week, he is offering his complaint to God. The book is essentially a dialogue, a conversation between Habakkuk and God as they are going back and forth, and God has just responded to Habakkuk. And now Habakkuk responds back to God, and he says this, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? And at this moment, it seems like, wow, he's actually kind of talking about how amazing God is, but he's actually not amazed at all at God right now. He is actually angry at God. And in the moment, questioning who God is and saying, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, speaking of the Chaldeans that we mentioned last week, you've ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for Reproof. Habakkuk in this moment, rather than run from God, rather than flee from God, in this moment he decides really to put up his fist and to wrestle with God. He has been called the wrestling prophet. Now I just wonder out of curiosity, there's each of us in the room tonight fall into three categories when it comes to Moments of fear, moments of pain, moments of danger, moments of when you're overwhelmed. Everybody in the room typically responds in one of three ways, all right? So we'll start with the first one. The first way that you would respond is fight. Fight. Something happens to you. You get a bad text message. Someone says something to you that you don't like. You find yourself in a precarious precarious situation, a dangerous situation. Your response is to fight back with what's going on. You know, any fighters in the room, you want to you fight with, you want to fight the, ne- the, next, the next category is flight. You're like, I'm definitely not fighting in this moment. I am the most non-confrontational person in the room, and I am flight. I am leaving the place because I don't know. Danger is on the horizon. I don't know what to say to that text message. I don't know how to respond. I'm just going to avoid altogether. Flight. Here, here's, here's, the third, here's the third way that you respond is you got fight, you got flight, and then you got freeze. Freeze is... I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fight back or to flight or I don't know. I'm just, uh, I don't know, dude. I'm just going to stand here because I don't know exactly what to say in the moment. You're just going to freeze in the dangerous situation. You don't know exactly what is going on. How many, how many of you just by a show of hands, you raise your hand high, you are flight. I'm sorry, sorry. Let's start with the first one, fight. You are fight. You're a fighter. All right. Second, raise your hand. Uh, you are a flighter. You're a flighter. And then the third, third one, you are a freezer. You are a freezer. Okay. I'm a freezer. I'm a freezer. I don't know what to do. I don't know, I'm like a confrontational situation. I don't know exactly how I should respond. What should I do? And I'm just kind of freeze. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. How many of you just out of curiosity have also taken the personality type uh, test that is called the Enneagram? Anybody in the room taking the Enneagram? Okay. Uh, the Enneagram, it's interesting because um, um, I have surrounded my life with type eights on the Enneagram. I am a type, type five. And it's interesting that type uh, eights, they are, they're fighters. They're challengers. They like to, they like to challenge situations. Um, this, look how crazy this is. Um, so my mom is a fighter. She's a number eight on the Enneagram. She, she can lay down the law. I mean, she knows how to like show up and she, uh, know, she, she tells you who's, who, what, what's up. All right, she is uh, a number eight. She's a fighter. Get this, my wife, Ashley, she is a fighter as well. Like if you've met her for four seconds, you know that she is a, a fighter. Like she, she, she's a fighter. And get this, 
Hillary, Hillary is a number eight on the Enneagram as well. She is a, a fighter. She's a challenger. Like, she's a protector. Like, don't mess with her, all right? She's going to challenge you. And then get this, Christina is also a number. My executive assistant is a fighter as well. And so, like, I have surrounded my life somehow with uh, fighters. Now, here's what um, typically we give fighters, we give them a hard time. All right, we give them a hard time, especially if you act like that with God. How many of you who are in kind of the fight category, people have told you, you shouldn't pray like that. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't think like that when it comes to God. Here's Habakkuk. Habakkuk is this prophet. He's this rogue prophet, some say, and he is a fighter, and he has the audacity to fight with God. He's so frustrated by what he sees. Last week, we saw that he was in like us, a city in ruins. city is literally falling apart around him. Injustice is all over the place. And he's looking at God, asking God, wrestling with God, where are you? Where are you, God? And why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? Habakkuk speaks to God in a way that is really uncomfortable for most of us. He's uncensored, he's confrontational, he's brutally honest. But here's what Habakkuk does. He, he struggles with God. He prays with God. He presses into God in the midst of tra tragedy. And he offers his complaint to God and his accusation really against God. Now here's what's, here's what's amazing about, about this verse. He refers to God as the rock. Now, anybody that's grown up in church for any length of time at all understands that God as your rock, like that is like the most impressive thing that you could say about God. And Habakkuk, he refers to God and he says, God, you are my rock. He says, oh Lord, you are the rock. But here in this moment, he actually doesn't believe it. Here in this moment, the prophet of God doesn't actually believe that God is his rock. There is a distance you could say between what Habakkuk understands God to be theologically and what he is experiencing him to be personally. There is a distance between what he knows God to be intellectually and theologically, doctrinally, as opposed to what he knows God to be personally and experientially. You can say it this way. There's a difference between having an education of God and having an experience of God. All the people that grew up in church, you're like, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, here, here, here's, here's, here's the reality. You and I, uh, if you grew up in church, if you grew up in the Bible Belt in which we find ourselves in, we, we grew up in a culture, which is great that we grew up in church, but you grew up in a culture in which you understood, or at least you were taught, nonstop, who God is and what he is like. I mean, flannel boards for days about who God is, which is a, which is a good thing. It's a good thing, which, and if you have children, you should teach them. You should teach them the principles of God, the doctrine of God. You should teach them who God is. But the, the, the tendency is, the problem is that sometimes we understand God theologically, but we don't actually understand him experientially. That you can be educated on God, but not actually experience him for who he is. And you need both. These moments when you find yourself in the valley requires both. You need to know God. You need to understand who he is biblically, doctrinally, theologically, who God is. You need that in those moments. But then you also, that's not enough. You need to know him experientially.
and that he's close and that he is God and that he is close and that he is good in your life. You need both. And if you're like me and if you're like Habakkuk, you're going to find yourselves in, yourself in moments where it seems like only one of the two is true. It's a crisis of belief. And it seems like Habakkuk is losing faith. Seems like he's losing faith. He would go on and he would say this in verse 13. You, God, who are pure of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Habakkuk begins to doubt God. He's doubting that God is operating in the way that he should. He's doubting that God is really good in this moment. He begins to doubt God. Have you ever doubted God before? Here's, I'll say it this way. No one is immune to doubt, not even prophets. No one is immune to doubt, not even prophets. Um, this past week, we had our monthly elder meeting. The four elders, we get together on a monthly basis on Tuesday evenings. It's usually the first Tuesday of the month, and we get together and we spend uh, upwards of four, four and a half, five hours together, depending on how long the conversations go. And we typically have about 42 items that are on the agenda that we have to work through together. And uh, as boring as that sounds, they're actually exhilarating. We enjoy it because we are elders and we love uh, shepherding uh, the church and what God is doing. But this past week was a little different than uh, what our normal elder meeting is. And we showed up on Tuesday night and I had like two things on the agenda. I felt like one was like, um, there was a hurricane and two, what do we do about the hurricane? Yeah, I kind of felt like kind of felt, felt like that, and it was actually a breath of fresh air in that, that moment. We only had a couple things that we had to work through and talk through together as elders, and we literally spent the next couple hours just talking together about our own personal valleys and struggles and frustrations, even in this moment. And all four of us articulated what it's like right now walking through the valley that God has put us in. And personally, as well as citywide and other ways, and we really got to pour out our heart to one another and to pray for one another and to just be present with one um, another. And we realized that we even struggle with doubt occasionally. Prophets aren't immune to doubt. Pastors aren't immune to doubt. And hey, here's the third P. People, people aren't immune to doubt. That just came on the fly. That was we need to do a blog, we need to do a blog this week. That was great. You know? No, but but here's here, here's the real reality. You're going to find yourself in a moment if you're not already in that moment right now. You're going to find yourself in a moment where you're actually doubting God, doubting His existence, doubting who He is, doubting that He is good, doubting if He actually cares about you, doubting if He even thinks about you and is mindful of you. And Habakkuk finds himself in this moment, and it seems like he is losing faith. He would go on, he would say this in verse 14. You make mankind like fish of the sea, God. Uses another metaphor, a fishing metaphor, a fishing analogy before God. You make mankind, me, like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. He laughs at us, God. 
Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, I just feel like a fish. I feel like I've been swept up by a net by the wicked and you're not doing anything about it. That's how I feel right now. God, he's in pain. Habakkuk is in pain before God, and then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, referring to God, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. At first, this sounds like pretty amazing. It sounds like, wow, Habakkuk has got himself together. He's now going to go to his watchtower. He's going to stand and he's going to wait. He's actually waiting on God. He's saying, I'm mad at you, God. I am done. I am not moving another muscle. If I have to go one more day going through this situation, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I'm just going to stand and I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait for you to answer my complaint. It's just so frustrated. He's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what the solution is going to be. He's looking for answers. He's looking for reasons because it just doesn't make sense. He doesn't know how to put it all together. He's looking and he's waiting. He's looking for reasons. Here's what I would want to encourage you with tonight. In the valley, God doesn't offer you reasons. He offers you himself. In the valley, God doesn't offer you reasons. He offers you himself. And we're going to find ourselves in moments and situations where we ask God, why? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let me go through this relationally? Why did you let this happen to me financially? Why did you let this happen to me vocationally? Why would you let my family go through this, God? Why, why, why? And in those moments, God rarely gives you reasons, but he always gives you relationship. He gives you himself which means regardless of who you are tonight and regardless of where you find yourself and regardless of how big the valley is and regardless of what you are facing, God will meet you in the valley and he will give you himself. He will give you himself, which means right now, right now, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, God is with you. And I love that Habakkuk, Believed God theologically to be a rock, but in the moment had a hard time believing or feeling that God was the rock of his life. And I want to argue tonight that God is not only the rock of your life, he is the only rock of your life. He is the only thing upon which you could stand that you know and that you can rest assured will not move out from under you. You could lose your job. Every single one of us could lose our job tomorrow. Every single one of us could have our finances taken away from us. Every single one of us could have our home damaged or flooded, which actually happened to some of you. Everything in this life is fleeting except for God. He is the only rock in which you could stand on. And so here's how I want to encourage you, and this is how I'm going to end. In Psalm 61, verse 2, it says this, When my heart is overwhelmed... Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, Zach, I'm going to ask you to join me. and I want you to think about this as, as, we, as we kind of land the plane this evening. Um, 
the language that the psalmist uses in this verse, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's, 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 a, it's a metaphor. And so here's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is in a situation personally and spiritually in which there are waters that are rising around him. He's in a situation, he's in a moment in which he is overwhelmed that it seems like he's going to drown. There are waters around him and he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What that means is that where he is currently standing means if he stays put where he is, he is going to drown. But God, lead me to the rock, lead my steps in the way that I should go to get up to the rock, up to a rock that can't be touched by the waters, a rock that is permanent and a rock that is high enough that isn't going to be drowned by the waters that are around me. He says, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I wonder sometimes if God allows a flood in our life to force us to go to him. I wonder if God sometimes in our lives allows a flood to rise around us so that we are no longer content with whatever we are standing on. It forces us to step out and to step up and to find him as a rock that is stable and that is secure when everything else is failing. And I'll say to this to you tonight as well, Jesus Christ is the rock of your salvation. And whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever turmoil you find yourself in, whatever pain you find yourself in, Jesus Christ is the rock of your salvation and he will never leave. He will never leave. And he has entered the floodwaters for you and has actually exchanged places with you and lifted you up when he was drowning and put you on the rock so that you wouldn't be touched. And we call that salvation. We call that salvation where God reaches down into our world and rescues us. When we were in sin and when we were in shame and when we could not save ourselves, He reached down and He rescued us. And He saved us. He is your rock tonight. And I want to encourage you with this as I close. The great pastor and theologian of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. Lori Francis actually sent this to me a few days ago. And I felt like I would share it with you. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor who was plagued by depression and disease and physical ailments. He actually died an early death. He would oftentimes have to retreat for months away from London so that he could recover physically and spiritually from his bouts of depression. And Charles Spurgeon, the poet and the pastor, he wrote this, I want to encourage you with it. He says this, most of us know what it is to be overwhelmed in heart, emptied as when a man wipeth a dish and turneth it upside down, submerged and thrown on our beam ends like a vessel mastered by the storm. Disappointments and heartbreaks will do this when billow after billow rolls over us. And we are like a broken shell hurled to and fro by the surf. But blessed be God. At such seasons we are not without an all-sufficient solace. Our God is the harbor of weather-beaten sails, the hospice of forlorn pilgrims. Higher than we are is He. 
His mercy higher than our sins. His love higher than our thoughts. It is pitiful to see men putting their trust in something lower than themselves. But our confidence is fixed upon an exceeding high and glorious Lord. A rock He is since He changes not and a high rock because the tempest which overwhelm us roll far beneath at His feet. He is not disturbed by them, but He rules them at His will. If we get under the shelter of this lofty rock, we may defy the hurricane. We may defy the hurricane. So tonight I want to encourage you, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, you to spiritually allow the Lord to take you from the place that you are to the place that He is. Whatever you find yourself standing on, that you'd allow Him to direct your steps to stand on the rock that He is. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. And we worship you tonight that you are our rock. And when everything else around us fades, when we slip on everything else that we are standing on, we can rest assured that you are our rock in which we can stand on. And so we bless your name, Lord, tonight. We bless your name and we trust you. We lean on you in Christ's name, amen.